0: Catholic History Trek, a podcast exploring the Catholic past.
1: If you've ever had any interaction with priests, you've probably seen them at one time or another walking around with or sitting and reading out of a book with a black leather cover. Some observers might assume that that's a Bible, and it could be, but more likely it's a breviary a book that contains a set of prayers called the Divine Office or the Liturgy of the Hours. These texts, prayed throughout the day at certain times, are an ancient observance and a central part of the prayer life of the Catholic Church. In this episode, Scott and I recount the history and development of the Divine Office.
0: The Catholic tradition of reciting prayers at certain hours goes back to an older Jewish custom from whom it is borrowed. In the Psalms, we find some mention of when they were prayed, With lines such as, I will meditate on thee in the morning. I rose at midnight to give praise to thee. Evening and morning and at noon, I will speak and declare, and he shall hear my voice. Seven times a day I have given praise to thee. This became a Jewish tradition of praying at various hours, which the apostles continued. And thus, from the very beginning of the church, there was this work of prayer, these offices established by the apostles and their successors. This work or service of praying to God at these hours is where we get this often-interchanged title of divine office or liturgy of the hours. As the Latin word for office, officium, comes from duty or service, whereas litogia, the Greek word for liturgy, means a function, service, or office. And so this liturgy or office is offered at hours of prayer. Which brings us to the question of why are they called hours? When I was younger, I recall if one wanted to set their watch accurately, they could call a special telephone number and would hear a message which said something like this. U.S. Naval Observatory Master Clock at the tone, Eastern Daylight Time, 11 hours, 50 minutes, 15 seconds. Beep. In the first century, you might find a sundial to provide an approximate time during the day, but you sure wouldn't find a naval observatory master clock. Time was less precise. And so, nights were broken up into watches, four watches of three hours each. We even find these four watches referenced in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus advises, Watch ye therefore, for ye you know not when the Lord of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at cock crowing or in the morning. And while these nights were divided into four watches, The days were broken into smaller divisions, one hour each, appropriately called hours. Beginning at dawn, these hours were called the first hour and the second hour and so forth, until dusk, when the watches began. In the Acts of the Apostles, we find references to these prayers and these hours, such as in chapter 3, Peter and John went into the temple to pray at the ninth hour. In chapter 10, we find Peter specifically praying at the sixth hour, In chapter 16, Paul and Silas pray and praise God at midnight. These hours marked the times when certain prayers were recited, and when the early church continued this Jewish tradition of praying at set hours, they did change what they prayed. They retained the chanting of the Psalms and the reading of the Old Testament passages, but also added the reading of the New Testament and hymns, such as Te Dechet Los, which is considered one of the oldest hymns. In the fourth century, the tradition of praying at these hours became more frequent, with their public recitation usually prayed on station days, which were the days when a fast was observed until the early afternoon and which gave rise to station churches. But these stations are for another episode. These hours of prayers were also prayed daily by the early church, especially among monks. In St. Benedict's famous rule for monastics, he writes much about the praying of the hours, and it's from the rule of St. Benedict that we find their title of canonical hours. In the writings of the early church fathers, such as St. Ephraim, St. Basil, and St. Jerome, among others, we find mention of the praying at the hours. And in the 8th book of the Apostolic Constitutions, from about the year 400 AD, we find these hours specified for these prayers, where it says, Offer up your prayers in the morning, at the third hour, the sixth, the ninth, at evening, and at cockcrowing. We also find an explanation as to the purpose behind the prayers of these hours. And the Apostolic Constitutions also mentions the ideal is to assemble the faithful for these prayers. The bishop and the priest led these divine offices recited in churches and oratories. And for many clerics, as well as the aforementioned monks, the praying of these canonical hours became an obligation of their vocation.
1: That's right, Scott. From the fourth century on, church councils and other sources of canon law contain explicit obligations and penalties for clerics regarding the recitation of this public prayer outside the Mass. The Council of Carthage, for example, in the year 398 stipulated that a cleric who, without being sick, fails in the vigils should be deprived of his benefice. By that time, too, this public prayer had taken on a specific character composed of psalms, hymns, and other responsory and antiphonal prayers. For most of the church's history, the public praying of the divine office has been closely associated with monastic life, something Scott has already indicated. These were monks and nuns chanting or reciting the prayers in choir, as they say, usually meaning in an antiphonal arrangement, that is, alternating side to side within the monastery chapel. The praying of the office, at least in private, has been mandated for all ordained men, deacons, priests, bishops as well as all consecrated religious, brothers and sisters in religious orders. That is, it's a matter of church law, though again, for many religious orders, the praying of the hours in choir is part of their rule, and so in that sense, the canon law is redundant. The current code of canon law retains this obligation for priests and transitional deacons, deacons who will be ordained priests, although it relaxes it for permanent deacons, saying that conferences of bishops can specify what the obligation is for that group, and in the United States, deacons are to pray at least the morning and evening prayers. That's lauds and vespers, but we'll get into that terminology later. The current Code of Canon Law number 276 reads this way, Priests and deacons aspiring to the presbyterate are obliged to carry out the liturgy of the hours daily according to the proper and approved liturgical books. Permanent deacons, however, are to carry out the same to the extent defined by the Conference of Bishops, as I already indicated. This rule was reiterated in the year 2000 by the Congregation for Divine Worship, who said in response to an inquiry they received, those who have been ordained are morally bound in virtue of the same ordination they have received, the celebration, or the entire and daily recitation of the divine office, such as is canonically established in Canon 276. This recitation does not have, for its part, the nature of a private devotion or a pious exercise realized by the personal will alone of the cleric, but rather is an act proper to the sacred ministry and pastoral office. And it goes on to say that this obligation should be set aside only for grave reasons. So, what are these hours in the Liturgy of the Hours, or these offices in the Divine Office? By way of answer, Scott and I will provide a drastically reduced and summarized history of each of these hours. The first is vigils. Precisely how the divine office developed in the early centuries of the church is unknown, but scholars have pieced together theories based on available evidence. One is that the public prayers of the office began as part of the Eucharistic liturgy, deriving from the vigils or prayers in preparation for Mass that were said on the eve of a feast day or Sunday. But these were gradually separated from the celebration of the Eucharist and took on a life of their own. The divine office thus began as a single office, normally said during the night, what would later be called matins, but was for a time called vigils. This tradition has been preserved in bits and pieces in the contemporary church, for example, in the vigil or the night watch of Holy Thursday. As Scott and I are recording this, that's tomorrow, Holy Thursday. The next hour is one I've already mentioned, matins, and it evolved out of the original office of vigils. There is some terminological confusion here. Matins at first applied to the office set at dawn, which would later be called lauds, more about that later, while the night office was called vigils. But through a gradual process of evolution, the practice of saying vigils during the night largely disappeared. It was set in the morning instead. And so the term matins was applied to it, and the term vigils evaporated. Whether said during the night, Or in the morning, this office, Matins, became the most substantial of the canonical hours, consisting of an invitatory, a hymn, a long series of psalms, some lessons or readings, and the Te Deum. The next hour is that of Lauds. This one is similarly confusing. Lauds emerged out of Matins, as a certain set of psalms within the hour of Matins. The term itself means praise and derives from Psalms 148 to 150 where praise the Lord or laudate is frequently repeated. Again, the meaning of the term changed gradually as it came to refer to the entire office said in the morning, replacing the term matins completely. So at this point in time, lauds is the name most commonly used for the morning prayer or morning office, which is one of the two most commonly prayed hours along with vespers. But I'll get back to vespers later. At this point, I need to pass the mic to my eminent co-host, Scott, to tackle the next four canonical hours.
0: Thank you, Kevin. The next canonical hours, prime, terce, sext, and known, are short offices recited at different hours of the day. The first of these, prime, from the Latin prima hora, meaning first hour, is recited around 6 a.m. Originally, this hour was called matutina hora, for morning hour, but was later renamed to the much shorter Prima Hora. The naming of this hour as Prime is first discovered in the rule of Saint Benedict. It's believed the institution of Prime originated around the year 382 at a monastery in the Holy Land somewhere near Bethlehem. The exact monastery is unknown but it's assumed to either be the convent of the shepherds or the enclosure of the sheep. Something involving sheep. In the fourth century there was no canonical hour between the early prayers Kevin mentioned of lauds and matins and the hour of terce, which was at 9 a.m. And instead of using this time between lauds and terce to engage in manual labor or spiritual reading, an abuse was prevalent where tired monks would just sleep. To combat this abuse and keep the monks from falling asleep, it was decided to recall the monks to choir at the prime hour to recite a few psalms and then have the monks engage in work until terce and thus the Hour of Prime was born. Sort of as a consequence for laziness, I suppose. Originally, Prime only consisted of a repetition of a part of the previous Hour of Lauds, although additional features were added, and perhaps the most notable of these is the Quicumque Volt Solvis Essay, also known as the Athanasian Creed. The next canonical hour is Terce, which is the third hour of the day, or 9 a.m., Terce finds its origin back in apostolic times and is mentioned by early church fathers, such as St. Jerome. Originally, it seems Terce may have only been recited on Sundays and during Lent, but eventually became part of the hours for ordinary days as well. Along with the next two hours of sext and known, Terce is one of three hours, which together are called the Little Hours. These three little hours were composed at the same time and contain the same origins and features. Since the earliest days of the church, the hour of Terce has been associated with the hour of Christ's condemnation to death and the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles on the Feast of Pentecost. The association with Pentecost comes from Acts 2.15, where Peter comments that the men who receive the Spirit cannot be drunk as it is only the third hour of the day. After Terce, the next canonical hour is sext, which comes from the Latin hora sexta, meaning sixth hour. Sext is the noon hour, and is the second of the three hours, constituting the little hours. And with the morning and evening, the middle of the day at noon was usually an hour of rest, such as like the current lunch hour for many Americans, and I believe possibly the origin of the midday siesta in Spain. In Acts 10.9, St. Peter takes advantage of this rest and goes up to a higher part of a house to pray at the sixth hour. In the early church, this hour was seen as a favorable time to pray, with many of the early church fathers commenting on the symbolism of praying at the sixth hour. Not only did some workers have the time to offer prayer, but as St. Ambrose says, we should pray at noon because it is when the divine light is at its fullness, making symbolic reference to the sun at its zenith. It was also symbolic of the hour when Christ was nailed to the cross. St. Clement of Alexandria, St. Cyprian, St. Augustine, Origen, and Tertullian all speak of praying at the sixth hour, which was practiced in the church dating back to at least the end of the first century. Although this was mostly a time of private prayer and the official establishment as sexed as a canonical hour, didn't become widespread among the church until about the fourth century, when it shows up in the Apostate Constitutions, the De Virginitate, and the writings of St. Ephraim, St. Chrysostom, and in St. Basil's Rule for Monks. Sext was not a very long hour, only consisting of a few psalms and perhaps a short prayer and a hymn. But even this composition of sext varied widely from place to place. Around the time of the rule St. Benedict, who either copied it from the Roman composition or who inspired the Roman composition, the structure of sext was established, making it fairly similar to terce and known. And speaking of known, that is the next canonical hour. Years ago when I first learned of the canonical hours, I thought known should take place at noon, given that they're similar sounding words. But I was thinking like an English-speaking American and not a Latin-speaking Catholic. Known takes its name from the Latin word nonus for ninth, which is related to the Latin word nine, novum, which may remind you of November, the ninth month on our calendar. Well, at least it used to be the ninth month on our calendar, before the Gregorian calendar was implemented. But Kevin has another podcast on that, if you want to hear more about the changes to the calendar. Anyway, this ninth hour of the day was about 3 p.m., and this is the hour when Peter and John went up into the temple to pray in Acts chapter 3, and is the hour when Cornelius was praying in Acts chapter 10. Although the most well-known connection between a scriptural event and the hour of known is the death of Christ, which is commemorated at the hour of known in the written work Peregrinatio ad Loca Sancta, meaning pilgrimage to holy places, the Office of Known is described as being composed of psalms and antiphons, followed by a prayer and a blessing. In both the rule of St. Benedict and the Roman liturgy, the Office of Known is very similar in its structure to the three offices of the Little Hours, a prime, terce, and sext.
1: And now we come to the evening, Vespers. Vespers, along with vigils, is evident in the earliest documentation for the canonical hours. It's a little less confusing than some of the other hours covered, because there has always been an evening office. Though the name did change at least once. In the first five centuries of the church, it was more commonly known as lucernalis, light, deriving from the lighting of candles that normally accompanied the praying of this office. From the 6th century on, Vespers became the most widely used title for this hour, from the Latin word for evening. Vespers, evening prayer, is currently, along with lauds, morning prayer, the office most frequently prayed by laypeople, and these are the two hours that permanent deacons are also required to observe, as I mentioned earlier. Our final hour is Compline. Compline sounds a bit like complete in English, and that's no coincidence. It comes from the Latin Completorium. It is today found in breveries as night prayer, the completion of the office, the end of the day. Compline is not found in the most ancient liturgies of the hours. It goes back merely to the 500s. But like the other offices, it had its origins in the monastic communities, though exactly when and where is a matter of some debate. If it didn't absolutely originate with St. Benedict, he certainly called the final hour Compline and introduced it into the Benedictine prayer regimen. The praying of all these hours requires a lot of prayers. How they were practically speaking compiled into a single book, that book the priest carries around, is another story.
0: Yes, and getting all these hours into a book was quite a taking. As we've detailed, there are about nine hours, such as Matins, Terce, and Compline. And by the Middle Ages, these canonical hours each consisted of Psalms and Canticles, Psalms are, as they sound, the Psalms, while Canticles are songs drawn from other portions of the Scriptures such as the Canticle of Moses in Exodus 15, after the passage of the Red Sea, or the Nunc Dimittis, which is called the Canticle of Simeon, which is found in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And they also consisted of antiphons, responsories, and hymns, and our podcast episode on church music goes into the differences between each of these. And there were lessons, which would be either a reading from the Bible, or a writing, martyrology, or life of a saint, and versicles and little chapters, which sometimes replace the lesson, and collects, which were prayers near the end of an office. Psalms, canticles, antiphons, responsories, hymns, lessons, versicles, little chapters, and collects constitute a lot of different things to pray. Because of this, books and collections of these various elements comprising the hours were constructed. The oldest of these is the Psalter which consisted of all 150 Psalms divided into groupings of which Psalms were to be recited at each hour. Originally, there were no standard divisions of the Psalms. Some ambitious monks would pray all 150 Psalms over the course of a single day. So their divisions in the Psalter would be much larger than those praying the Psalms over the course of a week. But even if two monasteries were praying the Psalms over a week, they might have totally different divisions indicating which psalms they prayed on which day. By around the 4th century, some standardization began to form, but not entirely. For example, in the Roman Western Church, the psalms basically progressed from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, but in some monastic communities and Eastern liturgies, such as the Ambrosian and Mozarabic, the psalms were arranged a little differently. In addition to the Psalter, there was what was called the Proper of the Seasons, which contained the offices for different liturgical seasons. There was the proper of the saints, which contained lessons, psalms, and antiphons to be used on various feast days of the saints. There was the common, which included the lessons, gospels, antiphons, responsories, and versicles, which were not reserved for a special occasion, and the hours, containing the prayers to be recited at each of the canonical hours. If you're confused with all that, you're not alone. John Beleth, a 12th century liturgical author, enumerated the books required for a Catholic monk or priest to pray the hours each day as including the Antiphonary, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Passionary, which was Acts of the Martyrs, the Legendary, which was Lives of the Saints, the Homilary, which was a collection of the Gospels, the Sermologus, which was a collection of sermons, and treatises of the various church fathers. That's quite a library, And not something that could easily be toted around. Something condensed and easier to be used was quite necessary. And thus, the breviary, or breviary, or however you want to pronounce it, was developed. One of the earliest breviaries was authored by Alcuin in the 8th century, which was intended for the laity. It was an abridgment which did not include the lessons or homilies. Around the same time period, Bishop Prudentius created a similar breviary as well. But it wouldn't be until the 11th century that a breviary as we know it was introduced. It came from the Benedictine Monastery at Monte Cassino in the year 1099. It was originally used by the Benedictines, but under the inspiration of Pope Innocent III, this breviary began to spread beyond the confines of Benedictine monasteries. If the name Pope Innocent III sounds familiar, he has been mentioned in quite a few of our podcast episodes, including the episode on the Franciscans. And speaking of Franciscans, they're often credited for popularizing the breviary. As an active missionary religious order, they needed an abridged office, which they could easily carry with them on their missionary journeys. They adopted a breviary approved by Pope Gregory IX and spread its use everywhere they traveled. And speaking of Pope Gregory IX, he'll be coming up on a future episode involving a very interesting topic. Anyway... Under Pope Nicholas III, this breviary used by the Franciscans became the official breviary for the church in Rome, and eventually it would become the standard for the universal church.
1: Well, as this summary has already made clear, there have been many changes over the centuries to the terminology and contents of the divine office, the canonical hours. Not surprisingly, the office underwent major changes after the Second Vatican Council as part of the broader liturgical reform. This included translation into English, a call for more lay participation, the encouragement of public rather than private prayer, and a simplification of the psalmody. The Congregation for Divine Worship's 1971 instruction on the Liturgy of the Hours outlined these changes and presented what we might call the modern roster of canonical hours. Morning and evening prayer, in the old terminology lauds and vespers, are emphasized. There is also an office of readings, which corresponds more or less to the ancient matins, it mentions vigils, but only with respect to major feast days, so basically as an addition to the Office of Readings. Then it describes what it calls daytime hours. This can be done as the traditional three offices, terce, sext, and known, or reduced to a single daytime hour. Finally, there is night prayer, which is said later than vespers. So the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops website presents the Liturgy of the Hours as five offices, using English, the Office of Readings, Morning Prayer, Daytime prayer, evening prayer, and night prayer. And that's the way you'll find things organized in most English books of hours or breviaries today. There's no question that the Divine Office remains a vital part of the Church's liturgical practice. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, for example, covers it in Numbers 1163 and following. In 1174, it talks about the Liturgy of the Hours as being a celebration so devised that the whole course of the day and night is made holy by the praise of God. It also says that it is intended to become the prayer of the whole people of God. Public prayer and lay participation are encouraged.
0: Speaking of participation, essentially all Catholic priests, monks, and nuns pray some form of the canonical hours daily, but few among the Catholic laity make these prayers, even despite Vatican II's constitution on the sacred liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium, encouraging the laity to recite the divine office. But it should not be a surprise that the canonical hours are so seldom prayed by the laity, as most Catholics have never been encouraged or shown how to pray the hours, and tackling the canonical hours can be a daunting task for one to undertake by themselves, partially because of the complexity and partially because of their length. And while Kevin and I did not teach you how to pray the Hours, hopefully we did help explain the history and clarify the differences between the Canonical Hours, the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office, and the Breviary. And if one does want to learn how to pray the Hours, besides the printed Breviary, there are various websites and even smartphone apps devoted to this purpose. And speaking of various websites... Catholic History Trek is available as a podcast with all of our content on the regular podcast applications, such as Google, Apple, Spotify, and so forth. And we're also in the process of uploading our podcast content to various video websites. So far, we've added about half our episodes to YouTube, and we're in the process of adding those episodes to alternate sites, such as Rumble, Odyssey, and Vimeo, to make it easier for you to find our content. And if you like our content, and even if you don't, feel free to subscribe, like, and rate our content to help others find it and discover these ad-free episodes covering the history of the Catholic Church. As Kevin mentioned earlier, this is Holy Week, and we are recording this episode on the Wednesday of Holy Week. And we are recording it after 3 p.m., but before sunset. So that would place us somewhere between Known and Vespers. So I thought it appropriate to end our podcast episode with the closing Latin prayer from either Known or Vespers. For the Wednesday of Holy Week, fortunately, both these offices have the same closing prayer, so we can close our episode with the closing prayer from both known and Vespers. Domine exaudi orationem meam et
1: clamor meus ad te veniat.
0: Benedicamus Domino.
1: Deo gratias.
0: Fidelium animae per misericordiam Dei requiesca in pace. Amen. Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctificetur nomen tuum; adveniat regnum tuum; fiat voluntas tua, sicut in, in terra et in cielo.
1: Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimittimus debitoribus nostris. Et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos a malo. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Catholic History Trek. You can reach us at Catholic History Trek at gmail.com